What's up, everyone? We have been rolling out episodes every Friday for you all to hear the lives of these awesome, awesome Black equestrians around the country. We want to say thank you for tuning in and sharing our podcast with others. Today, we are talking to Robert Lawrence Jacobs. He is the founder of the Robert Lawrence Jacobs House of Opportunity, which is a nonprofit bridging the economic gap between quality equestrian instruction and household income. Keep listening to hear all about what Robert has to say. You are listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast with your hosts, Abriana Johnson and Caitlin Gooch. Robert, thank you for joining us on another episode of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. We usually start off our podcast with just sharing something that we are thankful for today. So uh, if you want to go first and just share something that you are thankful for. Um, I would say um, I am thankful for the many lessons that horses have really taught me um, over the years. Uh, the two primary ones I would say would be uh, discipline and perseverance amongst the many others that horses can, the many other lessons horses can teach us. I would say those are the two that I'm most thankful for. Awesome. Caitlin, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for rest. This year has been extremely busy, and I am, like, chilling right now. Mm-hmm. Not chilling too hard, but I'm not moving around as much as I was before. And I think my body is appreciating it. What about you? Oh, today I am thankful for connections. I feel like the world, just things just revolve. They just go around and things come back to you that you've done years ago, especially when you network with people. And then, you know, a few years later, you get connected with them again for something else. And it's just like, a never-ending cycle of just things that, you know, you kind of set up for your future. So it's just amazing. Um, I've had some stuff go on with my, uh, my last semester of this master's program and someone who helped me five years ago on a project is able to help me now. And it's just, it's perfect because we already know each other and we're super excited about the project. So I'm just thankful that I kind of set myself up five years ago to have this relationship that I do now. And it just lets me know, like, now the things that I have done in the last year, I mean, the things me and Caitlin have done in the last year has probably set us up for some crazy, amazing things in the next five years. And it's just, that's exciting. And I am thankful for that. Those things come in full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yes, they so. do. Robert, so just tell us briefly about yourself, your location, your current discipline, and the horses that you have. I grew up in Maryland, uh, just outside of D.C. Um, I started riding probably later in life than most. I think I was about in the sixth grade or so. Um, actually, I'm sorry, about seventh grade, which is later than most people and started at a lesson program in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, uh, Willow Bend Farm. That was a great place to start. 
They had a ton of horses for me to learn how to ride on and their foundation and in, in horse care and horsemanship and all that stuff has proven to be super beneficial. So that's where I started and then moved to a different barn in, in high school and then in college went to St. Andrews University, which is in Laurenburg, North Carolina, which is not far from where I currently live now. But I uh, was on the equestrian team there in college and had a lot of fun with it, learned a lot, sort of was able to really take my riding knowledge and experience a little bit further. Got to go to some cool shows and just enjoyed that. And so after graduation, I sort of have done a decent amount of a lot of things, just trying to figure out what works best for me. Right. I started, I guess, in 2015, 2014 or so. Um, around that time, I started a, a business of my own, training horses, teaching riders how to ride, going to horse shows, judging horse shows giving clinics, uh, that sort of thing. Did that for several years and and liked it, and that fit me for that period in my life, I think. Mm-hmm. And and all of this is in the hunter-jumper industry. Um, so the hunters, the jumpers, the equitation, that sort of uh, discipline. So did that and, and enjoyed it. And then sort of around Christmas time, December, January, I uh, had a uh, meeting with my parents. They have a, a construction business back up in the D.C. area and sort of had a conversation with them. My dad was sort of working through prostate cancer and and their their business was growing. Their construction business was growing, so they need a little extra help. Uh, kind of at the same time that I realized wasn't too sure that I wanted to have a full-time training stable anymore. So I moved back up to D.C. Um, for eight months or so to help them with their business. And while um, they were getting their health uh, back on track, uh, thankfully, they're both doing very well now. Um, but being back in D.C., just I guess I moved back February of 2019 to D.C. and then stayed there for eight months. So, so being back there sort of gave me an opportunity to be with family again. You know, I've been away. I've been in North Carolina for a while, so it was good to be close to family again, sort of figure out at the same time what exactly I wanted to do. Did I want to continue helping my parents with their business or did I want to do something else? So life sort of is interesting with how it shows you what the next right move for you may be. And so that's a little bit what happened. I was drawn or, or called back to North Carolina, which is where most of my contacts are. Overall, I really liked the state. Just wasn't sure if I would move back. So, ended up, I moved back to North Carolina just in, I believe it was September or October. Um, wow. I've been back here not too long. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm currently in, I live in Aberdeen, North Carolina, which is not far. It's almost halfway between like Raleigh, the Raleigh Cary area, mm-hmm. uh, and and Lorenburg. So it's almost like halfway. That's down east, by east of uh, Raleigh. It's south of Raleigh, so it's pretty much directly west of Wilmington. Oh, okay, uh, okay. And and directly east of like Charlotte. It's almost right oh, in the, okay. the middle of of Charlotte and Wilmington. Okay. 
and it's a, it's a it's a very nice area. It's sort of known for horses and golf, and and also now it's pretty much known for military families because we're not far from Fayetteville, mm-hmm. and Fort Bragg, and all that stuff. So, and so moved back here and and have really been enjoying myself. I do pretty much still in the week. I'm doing schoolwork as well as doing some marketing for small businesses. Um, and then, you know, my, the horse side of my life has pretty much turned into enjoyment and giving back to the sport. And I'm really able to do that through my nonprofit and have pretty much by choice decided to not really do horses anymore from a for-profit business perspective. You know, I, I, I teach occasionally during the week in the community, but if I do that, I run it like my nonprofit where it's just, you know, there's no set fee. They just, the riders just make a donation. And I typically just do that. If there's the need, you know, if someone's really struggling with something and they need a few lessons to get an opinion and and get some good homework to work on, you know, then that's what I'll do. I'll help them. But yeah, things have really transitioned for me now at this point in my life. I just turned 30 yesterday. Oh, Um, happy birthday. Um, yeah, thank you. It, thank you. It snuck up on me. Um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of a little bit in a short, I don't know, six seven minute nutshell of of where I'm from and and where I've been the past few years. And yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where I am. That is awesome. Well, you answered some of the questions already. <laughs> but um, right, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was awesome. So. Tell us if you have had any challenges as a minority in the horse industry specifically. When I when I hear that question or, or answer that question, and I've talked with a few others, uh, I've had an interesting conversation interview with uh, the plaid horse about a year ago, and, and, and that question came up. And, and what I, what my brain goes to is, I can't prove or disprove any sort of struggle directly to race. My, my, my instincts say some of the things may have been a struggle because of race. My instincts want to say that. And, you know, I've never been, thankfully at least, uh, no one's ever told me you know, no or something for whatever reason that, you know, they didn't say, no, you can't do this or no, you can't do that because you're black. You know, thankfully they, ha- you know, they've not said that to my face, but, um, but, but some things you do kind of, uh, you know, wonder and it's just, I think it's human nature. So I, it's always, it's hard for me to exactly, um, pinpoint, uh, but, but it, I, I will say this, I, I am, uh, I've noticed and I've always, I learned this at a young age, um, especially when I'm you know, in boots and breeches or riding or teaching, you know, people, people stare. And, and I remember that even from a young age and when I first started riding and first I was, you know, starting to show up, go to shows. And, and at that time there weren't too many guy riders. So when I was younger, I thought, well, I really don't know if they're staring at me because I'm a guy or I don't know if they're staring at me because I'm black, mm-hmm. maybe both. It was so often that I received, you know, people would stop and stare and just, it, it almost became normal. 
that was my version of normal. Uh, yeah. And so it's almost abnormal. And, and I, I'm not a person that um, needs attention at all, but, mm-hmm. but it almost would become uh, abnormal if I would go do something with horses and not be noticed. So um, I got sort of used to it. But, but specifically as it pertains to struggling, um, you know, sort of chalk up any particular struggle uh, in the horse industry to race because of my because of my race. Yeah, uh, you know, I would say for me, it's probably been the growing up. You know, we were just a traditional, average, middle class family, which we know in the horse world is—I hate to say it—but it's practically poor, um, mm-hmm. being middle class and the horses. So I would say probably most of my struggles were were because we were a middle class family. Um, that I can think of were probably more for that reason than than the fact that you know I'm an African American, you know, because I have a lot of I have a lot of contacts and know people in this industry and and have shared with them maybe some of the things that I've dealt with and and other people of of different races are of let's say a everything else is similar besides let's say our race, they have maybe run into similar uh, roadblocks. So mm-hmm. the sport has become so money-driven that has been the deciding factor. I, it's almost, my, my perception is almost, you know, this sport doesn't really care what your, maybe your race is. They care how much money you have, you know, because because there are, a few, we can of course think of a few names, but there are some African Americans in the sport that come from very wealthy families that, that do very well and they train with Olympians and they, yeah. you know, they're getting, they're getting every opportunity. Well, yeah, they're, they're black, but, but they're also, they probably have unlimited resources. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's a sport that is just not accessible to so many, um, people or so many riders and it does so much for all of us so mm-hmm. i completely agree how do you make these connections with you know people whether you connect with them because horses are the similarity or economic status or anything else how do you go about building your network so now i mean it's pretty incredible and it kind of it, it sort of has grown over the years but it kind of goes a little bit back to that idea of me noticing how much and, and I and I pay attention to a lot of things in life but especially noticing what type of people I come in contact with at the horse shows and and also for me at least being smart about creating relationships with people who could potentially you know it's funny you um, you know we sort of came up earlier in this what we were thankful for of making connections and how mm-hmm. you make them and then you don't exactly realize the full benefit until maybe years later. Right. That That is, for me, that has kind of been the story of my life. And for me, paying attention to the impact that maybe someone has on my life or the impact that I could have on their life and if and when I was had a chance to meet someone of, let's say, quote-unquote, power in the horse community, really working hard, busting my butt, showing them that I'm a hardworking person who's passionate about the sport and hoping that someone further notices that. And that's really what I've been able to do. I've been able to, growing up, get a lot of internships, 
you know, at pretty major venues, the Washington International, um, and other top four shows as a college student and meeting some pretty important people and, you know, during these internships, really working hard and, you know, being noticed that way. And some of the people that I've met back in, let's say, 2008, they're pretty good friends of mine that I keep in contact with. I can reach out to them if I need something. Um, you know, it's something as simple as I'm going to be in, I want to go to Florida for a week. You know, can I, can I stay at your place? Can I crash in, in your spare bedroom? People who you know what you've developed a relationship that you know well enough who don't mind helping you that way to, to reach your goals, so to speak. So, and then social media is, is crazy powerful nowadays. Yeah. And, and I think if a person is wise about how they use it to reach people and, mm-hmm. and, and share their positive message, I mean, you'll, it, it's just incredible the amount of people that you are, let's say, friends with on Facebook, but you've never met them. And then you end up seeing them. Right someplace and either you recognize them or they recognize you and you're like well hey we're Facebook friends and, and we all know how social media works where you feel like you know somebody and you really don't oh, yeah. um, so that kind of breaks the ice and you met a friendly face a friendly smile and you find out who knows maybe they work at a bank and maybe you're trying to get a loan to purchase a farm next month. I mean, mm-hmm. just all types of mm-hmm. all types of wild things that really kind of boils down to developing your your contact base and developing your genuinely de- uh, developing your uh, relationships, not from the perspective of I want to. What you can I benefit from this relationship? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you know you don't want to. You don't want people to feel like you're just trying to gain something from them. Right. Um, you know, it, it just, in my opinion, it's got to be mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you able to add value to their life and to their influence, and, and how are they going to add value to your life? That's the truth. I completely agree with that. I mean, we have between this podcast. And things we're doing with the 4-H kids and literally everything. It's just amazing how many pieces of the puzzle are kind of are related. Like I started farm sitting for a lady who offered to come speak to the 4-H kids. She's also a horse show judge and she has she does um, trail obstacles with her mule. And it's just like. You could help me in so many, you know, facets of what I got going on. It's just amazing how everything can be so interconnected sometimes. You know, it kind of, it reminds me, you saying that kind of reminds me of that idea of different synergies, you know, of two, one plus one equals four, so to speak, where, you know, two people can come together mm-hmm. um, and and do more than double the, the impact or the productivity or, or or anything else like that, you know, and I think that's why we're as people we're kind of designed to be mm-hmm. um, to make connections mm-hmm. um, because you know it can we can definitely go much much further. Yeah, see, you hear that, Caitlin? We got synergy. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same yep. way with us coming together to do this podcast. I mean, we both have you know similar backgrounds but different experiences and she has so many resources and I'm like 
well, what about this too? And, you know, we just, we have so many projects together. So I, I really like that. That definitely describes us to a T as well. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's important. That goes yeah, with go the people who listen, because I found like some of the people we interviewed mm-hmm. and then they go back and listen to other episodes and then they just remember like where they might've seen someone or they might've seen somebody either in person or a book or article and it just brings their attention to other things in the black equestrian horse world yeah and they bring that to our attention like we interviewed an author um earlier this week who in her book talked about a lady uh felicia chandler who we interviewed several episodes ago and i was like oh my gosh look at that (laughs) we all talking about each other (laughs) it was cool so you said that you um, were in school right now? Yes. Um, I am roughly eight months away um, from finishing a doctorate in uh, business administration. What? Um, and yeah, yeah. So I am um, I, um, going through a program, an online program. Uh, the school is Walden University. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really, really good program. It, uh, gives me good flexibility. I am in great contact with my professors. So it's not the type of online program where they just say, okay, you're just throwing you to the wolves and mm-hmm. good luck because there's no professor or advisor to help you. I'm a in-person classroom type of a guy when it comes to, you know, education. Um, so in picking a program, I, you know, I, I knew that my life, where I would be moving all over the place at the time. I think I've been, it's coming up on about three and a half years that I've been working on this uh, DBA. And, um, and so I knew I needed a program that was online, but I also wanted a program that could suit my learning style and, um, you know, I, I like to think that for the most part, I'm easy to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. So I want to feel that my professors are <laughs> easy to get a hold of yeah. and, and responsive. So that program, is it's been really good. And for me, it works. They call it a DBA. It's a doctorate in business administration, mm-hmm. um, which is I'm a, I'm a business guy. I like business. I um, did my in, uh, MBA at St. Andrews and my undergrad at St. Andrews. Um, so wow. I'm a lifelong learner, but this is definitely going to be the last degree I get. <laughs> I'm not getting anything else. This makes me so I, happy uh, because I was like, my mom was like, you're going back to school. And then as I'm towards the end of my program, I'm like, what else is there out there? <laughs> and she's like, no, you need to, you know, be out of school for a minute. I'm like, uh, I get bored and I get another degree. Like I can't. I need to get my life together. But that makes me so happy that there's other people out there like me. <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, you know, students. I went back to school for many different reasons. But, but one of the reasons also is I have learned by sort of observing how this works. But but so many people who who have an education, who have a graduate degree, without even having to sort of command respect for people, they, they get it. And, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm going to respect people whether, you know, whether I have a degree or not, but this is how I was raised. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, I find that when you walk into a room and you open your mouth and people know that, okay, this is not some Joe Smo coming into this room, they they treat you differently. They they sort of uh, sort of just uh, have a different level of, of respect or expectation. And for me, I I like that. And and you know, not that I need to feel like I'm I'm certainly naturally I'm kind of like that B student. You know, I'm not I'm not an, that A type of a you know yeah. bookworm. Yeah. Um, I'd say I'm probably that. That, that normal B student. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't need to feel like I need to walk some walk into a room and just be the smartest on the planet. Yeah, I certainly don't feel that way. Um, however, I absolutely don't want anyone to count me out, to count my ideas out or to discount any piece of information that I have to offer and to just sort of protect myself from that. I just know my maybe for another person their their route is a little different than mine but my route is you know has been education yeah yeah and that works for you that works for you yeah what are your um kind of goals for the future as far as you know finishing the program I know you said you don't want to be a full-time trainer but is it you know do you have like an equine business focus or like what are you you know wanting to do with that so yeah, so it's just um the it's just a business um, focus, but I I would say I want to do more um, with marketing and business um, uh, consultant work and do it in a flexible way because I certainly my my true gift really uh, is really in the horses. Uh, it's really um, in the horses. That's that's my primary gift, and, and I'm aware of that, and so. Uh, but at the same time, to stay at my best, I need to sort of uh, be very specific about the capacity that I do horses in. And then I learned that when I when I had a business of my own full time because it was twenty four seven pretty much. Uh, at that time, I was traveling a lot, and just like any human being, you can get burnt out and you can sort yeah. of lose your your maybe some of your drive or lose some of your passion yeah and you you almost can if you're not careful really lose the desire to truly help people mm-hmm. because you uh, you may have a moment or a time period where you are maybe you know as, as a business as a small equestrian business you're maybe looking at, you know, I, I've got to pay my mortgage, my farm mortgage on the farm. I've got to pay the farm rent. I've got to pay the winter is coming, the, the hay bill. You know, mm-hmm. so so you can, be, if you're not careful, you can begin making decisions that are solely, solely based on a business. And and I'm not saying that that's wrong right. um, because, you, you know, business is business. However, that just wasn't quite for me, I, I learned. And I am most impactful when I walk into the arena and I truly care. Mm-hmm. And I am not thinking about paying, you know, the, the, the farm, the mortgage or the rent. You know, I, I walk into the ring better when that's not a, a deciding factor for me. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think with this degree, um, I, I'd like to 
have a little more, I'm kind of an entrepreneur uh, at heart. So, so I'm kind of naturally going to have to work for myself, I've learned. Um, so, uh, you know, by having a, a marketing and consultant business where I, I really help other organizations uh, grow their business and market their business, um, that's, that, you know, what I want to do. And then in the evenings, on the weekends, still heavily involved with horses. I give a ton of clinics uh, every year and, you know, enjoy it. So that's where I am my best. And and some people can remain pretty good and pretty sharp maybe, you know, by, by doing the traditional business. But for me, with the goal of reaching as many people as I can reach, couldn't do that, you know, with a barn and a local barn and a local town, you know. I mean, right. you can only... We can only reach so many, and right. so I think I'm purposed to reach more people than just fifteen or twenty people every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I that makes me so happy. Like I see so much of kind of what I not necessarily what I want to do in the future. Like I don't want to, you know, own a business consulting firm or agency, but so much of what you're saying resonates with me, you know, being an entrepreneur, working on like the marketing, that's, that's interesting to me, definitely. Um, but I don't even think, I don't think it's like a lifelong goal for me, but a lot of what you said definitely resonates with me just trying to reach as many people as possible and determining that the traditional ways of approaching it just don't satisfy that hunger inside of you to reach the masses. So I I completely, completely agree with that. So let's talk about your nonprofit for a minute. The Robert Lawrence House of Opportunity. When did you start that and what kind of, I know you touched on it a little bit, but what kind of pushed you to that? I'm going to go ahead, submit the paperwork. You know, this is what I'm going to do. And how did you format that? It's surrounded by the clinics. That's what it is for the most part. Um, if you want to just talk about that for a second. Sure. Yeah. So I, it, we just had our two-year uh, anniversary just, uh, I guess, several weeks ago. I always knew that I wanted to give back because I feel I have grown uh, as much and as fast as I've grown pretty much because I've been blessed with people who have helped me get to certain goals. So, and so without that, I mean, you can, you can work as hard as you want, but at the end of the day, the hope is that, that your hard work is going to pay off. Someone's going to notice what you're doing and help you. That's the hope. But, but I, you know, and that, I think that happens for so many people, but I don't even know that that's a guarantee, you know? So, but for me, it happened. Um, you know, I worked hard growing up, and that was noticed. And then so I, you know, I received additional help in, in many different ways from many different people. And so I realized that. And so sort of became important to me. And I'm kind of, I'm naturally kind of a, I have a giving spirit anyway. Mm-hmm. So thinking about just some of the riders that I would come across on, a, let's say, a normal month or year that have unbelievable natural talent. I mean, I'm talking just unbelievable. They don't even know what they're doing. Like they, they don't know that they, the horse was 
may be looking at something and they leg yielded the horse over to get its attention. Mm-hmm. Or they don't even know they landed from the jump and, and let's say it's a pony rider and they just step to the outside and it got the flying change. I mean, I'm talking about truly natural riders that just, they just are gifted. Uh, and I've come across so many of those that, uh, like most of us, come from, you know, middle-class families. Mm-hmm. Families where maybe they can only afford the once-a-week lesson, or maybe maybe they have to buy a super, super green pony or horse, or, you know, so those types of families. Um, and so by seeing those riders and kind of a little bit seeing myself through them and just knowing that if they just had someone to invest time mm-hmm. uh, into their riding foundation, they they could be fantastic and they could go very far. Um, and so, you know, but at the same time, you kind of have to watch how you go about doing things because, you know, when you have a barn, you can't give two riders, even if they're the hardest workers in the world, you can't really give two, let's say two riders all this extra stuff and not necessarily offer it to every rider. Right. So I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like that idea of doing that. So I had to sort of get creative and how could I have something where it's pretty much open to everybody who wants to do it? How could I create something that, you know, a, a way where I can A, give back to the sport, B, create something that can help riders get a little further and who maybe otherwise couldn't afford it. Hunter Jumper Clinic um, really start anywhere from 150 for a session can can go all the way up to 250 for mm-hmm. one session. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty expensive, you yeah. know. And so that eliminates so many riders. And then most riders would say, okay, at most maybe they could do they could afford to do that once a year. But how often can most of us do that on a regular basis? Not not too often. So. Right. I really wanted to create something that, you know, you can't, you can't use the excuse of I don't have the funds, you know, because it's donation based. You, you absolutely have funds. I mean, people have donated as little for a clinic, an hour long clinic, any, as little as, you know, $5. That's what they felt like they could donate at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, we have donors and sponsors who have made donations as high as you know, twenty five hundred dollars. Wow. So it's 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 been it's been pretty incredible, and I'm able to have something where I open it up to everybody. You know, I open it up to everybody. Um, I'm not let's say if this was a barn, I'm not just picking my few harder working kids. Mm-hmm. I am um, I'm, I'm opening it up to everybody, so it's fair and it's affordable. And a lot of the equestrian support probably not fair and we know it's certainly not affordable. It's definitely not affordable um, right <laughs> absolutely so it's been really fun um i've been i've been growing it um i took a little break while i was up in dc um working for my parents and kind of had to just sort of figure out what the next move for me was so i took a little break and, and now things are up and running we go up and down the east coast during these clinics we um we're going out to utah in february for an opportunity clinic. Um, so it, it's really grown. And actually, we it's interesting. Um, it's kind of now a little bit turning into a, 
an, another way to give back of clothing and riding equipment and gear. Yeah, I um, saw that. I, I saw of, that. You got some um, some boots and some show jackets and stuff donated. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and I've been getting so uh, much stuff in really the past month or two. You go to these clinics and, and some of the barns, you know, they, they may be local barns, you know, maybe the they're, they're not as sophisticated as others. And, and for me, that doesn't bother me one bit. But how can we, those riders at, the, let's say, those local barns who are riding in, you know, helmets that are outdated, that are riding in saddle pads that have holes, how can we help those riders who really want to do it and who really want to be exposed to maybe the next best thing for them, but maybe just don't, they just simply can't afford to go to Dover and go shopping. Right. So we, as equestrians over the years, we all have a billion things mm-hmm. that are in great condition yeah, we that don't we need. don't use. Yeah. Right. So, um, and and again, this goes back to people knowing me and trusting me um, that say, "Hey, I have these pair of brand new tall boots I wore one time. They don't fit." I've had them for two years. They're not even broken in. Here you go. Find someone, you know, you're surely going to find someone who, who can benefit from them or show jackets. You know, people have purchasing new items and donating it uh, yeah. to the organization. Or So I didn't plan on, because it's a clinic-based nonprofit, I didn't plan on it sort of turning into a, a clothing uh, aspect or having a clothing and gear equipment aspect to it. Mm-hmm. But why not? You yeah. know, I yeah. mean, it, it it helps people sort of do their winter and spring cleaning, and it it's really nice stuff, and and it is it is rehomed or repurposed to riders who are going to take care of it because they've never they've never had a pair of fancy tall boots or a fancy right. show jacket, you know. Right. So when they re- receive these items, right. um, you know, it, that's special to them. So yeah. That's the truth. I'm definitely going to be at the one next weekend, just so you know, because it's right down the street from where I live. <laughs> um, um, I Next weekend, I'm, I'm one place on Saturday and one place on Sunday. I think I'm in Zebulon on Saturday, and then... Yeah, that uh, one. I think I'm... Okay, and, uh, at uh, Cool Breeze. Yes, I love Cool Breeze. Okay, awesome. The guy that is the reason why I have my horse used to train for Curtis, train racehorses for Curtis. So, okay, small world. Awesome. So I would love to go see see the place. Um, I've had friends board horses there and rode around in the little carriage with the draft horse Mel. So it's a it's a amazing place. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. It is a uh, super cool place. I've been there, I think this will be maybe my fourth time mm-hmm. um, going to that farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that place and, uh, they get a, they get a kick out of it. So good. I'm glad I'll get to meet you there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess we're gonna just wrap up. So what advice would you give the aspiring equestrian? I know you're seeing them at your clinics. What advice do you give them, you know, as on how to progress and, and pursue their dream of whatever discipline it is in the horse world? I would say 
consistent hard work and a consistent positive attitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, those those two things are crucial. And, and I had to, you know, I had to throw the word consistent before all those because, you know, people don't trust you if you work hard for two days out of the week. Mm-hmm. Or people don't maybe trust your emotions if you're in a good mood two days out of the week, you know, and you're positive two days out of the week. So, so consistently working hard and being uh, consistently optimistic or positive, I think you can overcome so much because you train yourself into being a problem solver and how can I get past this roadblock? Mm-hmm. How can whatever your whatever your roadblock is, whether your roadblock is um, the fact that you are the only African American rider in in your county, or if the the roadblock is the finance piece, or just whatever your roadblock is, if you, you have those two things, you're going to train yourself to find a way around it. And and I believe it doesn't matter how many millions you have, you're still going to have roadblocks. You're going to have different roadblocks, but you're still going to have roadblocks. You know, if you are the, let's say, the average middle class equestrian, you're also going to have roadblocks. They're going to be different than maybe others, but I think we all have them. And I think with we get lost and we get bogged down and trapped um, Mm -hmm. because we lose that consistent hard work and we lose the consistent piece of, of being positive. What do people think of when they think of you? Or what do people get when they get you? So that's, that's just, that's the consistent. That's really what I mean about being consistent. You know, you want people to know when you get me, this is what you're going to get. Even gonna if get. I'm in a bad yeah. mood and I'm a human, I have bad moods too. When I'm in a bad mood, you're still going to get me. This is what you get. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're not going to get some person that you never met before was going to fly off your handle or or stop showing up on time because I'm in a bad mood right. you know all that stuff you have to we have to get past that so I would say to the let's say the young riders or even just a reminder to the adult riders because you know we all need the reminder I need the reminder myself sometimes too mm-hmm. um, but but those are the two those are the components that I, I try to try to remind myself of on a regular basis. Awesome. That was an amazing answer. Caitlin, do you have any other questions for him? I don't have a question, but I would like to propose that we do a follow-up since you'll be attending the Zebulon Clinic. That way we can give our listeners and those who come across your program a little bit of insight of what goes on. Uh, yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm down for all of that. I will yep. be, I can go yep. live on all the things. Uh, while I'm there and, and kind of show people what actually happens at one of these things. That'd be a lot of fun. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us tonight. And I mean, I will see you in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening to Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates. Listen, rate, and review us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Tune in next week for another episode.